The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season, maybe even less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic, and I'm here to talk about the 70s. Yeah, cool time when everyone's bottoms were belled and all of their... Well, you're thinking of the 60s, but all right. They still had them. I guess, I guess they still had them. Yeah, you can buy bell bottoms now if you really want. Uh, we're talking about the 1970s, and we're talking about a very notable film director at an early point in his career. Yeah, so there's a, there's a certain filmmaker you may have heard of. His name is Steven Spielberg. He directed uh, Bridge of Spies. Uh-huh. Uh, Always. And uh, Ready Player One. Yeah. And those, nothing those... else that's really notable. Yeah, a few other obscure mm. oddities here and there. <clears throat> He's actually rather a big deal. Uh, Steven Spielberg is considered one of the great filmmakers, period. And uh, you know what? <clears throat> He's a very mainstream filmmaker, and you might think that, you know, a sort of a snobby film critic would, like, turn their head and go, Ugh, Spielberg. Spielberg's great. <laughs> I, <coughs> Excuse I, me. I don't like everything he's ever no, done, but I, he's a very talented filmmaker. He's, he's done some quite bad films, in fact. But yeah. uh, in the I, aggregate, I, it's I don't, pretty yeah, good. I don't, I don't dis- disparage his uh, any of his successes. Yeah, and uh, people forget sometimes that although Spielberg actually had a relatively quick journey from guy who'd never directed a movie before to the director of the biggest movie of all time mm. at the time, Jaws, um, he actually did work his way through television. And he worked his way up doing episodes of TV shows like Night Gallery. Mm. Or uh, didn't he, he do a Marcus Welby? Am I crazy? Uh, he, he did a Columbo episode as well. He did a Columbo episode. He mm. did an episode of Marcus Welby, MD. He did shows that people have long forgotten, like Owen Marshall, Counselor at Law. and Of course. That, uh, that hit. And uh, two episodes of The Psychiatrist, which is actually only seven episodes long, and we should totally check that one out. Spielberg directed then a substantial percentage of those episodes. And then after doing some TV, he started uh, moving more into TV movies, and that's where his first big breakout was. There's was a movie called Duel, mm. which is absolutely badass, and you should totally see Duel if you haven't seen it mm. already. It's about a guy driving on the road in the, uh, in the desert, and he like cuts off a guy in a big rig, and the guy in the big rig decides to destroy him. <laughs> but we never really see the driver, so it's like the big rig itself is the thing trying to destroy him. Yeah, it's really suspenseful. It's absolutely awesome. It plays great. It was released theatrically like overseas because it just yeah. was that good. It's considered a TV movie here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see the uh, the Tiny Toons spoof of Duel? It's great from Night Goolery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Night, or, yeah. It's a plucky duck is being chased by the truck. This is one of the best visual gags I've ever seen. And it's appropriate to put it in Night Goolery because he did a couple episodes of Night Gallery. He did one of the segments in the pilot, which is this deliciously ironic thing 
about uh, someone who is uh, who's who cannot see, and they like decide to get new eyes, all gross and ghoulish. But there's a twist, and I'm not going to ruin it for you. You should check it out. They belong to a serial killer, don't no, they? It's, no, it's 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 more that was the it's to- more it's more bitter than that. It's actually the the premise of the Toby Hooper film, uh, part of Body Bags. Oh yeah, the segment that Toby Hooper directed was Mark Hamill got new eyes, and they were serial killer serial killer eyes. I've seen that a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, the the whole the old uh, the old chestnut of I got a transplant, but the transplant was from a serial killer. Mm-hmm. That's been going around for many 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 yeah, many yeah. decades. I think the best version of that I've ever seen is uh, Body Parts with Jeff Fahey. Yeah, Jeff Fahey gets a serial the the serial killer dies, and they just sort of like chop him up and use his whole body. So yes. it's just, someone gets a leg, a, someone gets a bunch an of arm, different so- people. Yeah, yeah. Get, get serial killer powers. But they all start getting like flashbacks to the dude's yeah. murders, and uh, Jeff Fahey is like a nice family man, and he's very disturbed by what's happening to him. And what I love about that movie is you think you know where that movie is going, and you do not. <laughs> <laughs> that movie goes completely off the rails in the last third, and it's amazing, and you should totally watch it. I love that movie. Um, but uh, yeah, so Spielberg started doing TV movies. He did Duel. Everyone knows Duel. And then he did some TV movies that nobody ever talks about. Uh, the next one he did right after Duel. And you would think Steven Spielberg just made his name. Mm. He just made Duel. Duel's a big deal. You'd think the next thing he did would get a lot of attention and still be really well known. Especially considering that it's a haunted house movie starring Darren McGavin. Who at the time was you know, Kojak, or uh, sorry, not Kojak, Kolchak. Kolchak. It was around the time he was Kolchak, uh, and um, I'm just gonna say it: uh, the movie Something Evil is not discussed very often because it stinks. <laughs> I have seen it. It is not a good film. It is a very, really kind of dry and and fusty kind of thing. The ending is kind of weird, and I guess it, it gets kind of fun towards the end, but it does not work. And that's the reason you, you've probably never heard of that. And then before he made his proper theatrical movie debut on the Sugarland Express, he had one more TV movie, except this wasn't just a TV movie. This was a pilot episode for an ambitious drama starring Martin Landau as a investigative reporter on television in a 60 Minutes type program. And in the pilot episode, he uncovers what may be a vast conspiracy involving an upcoming uh, Supreme Court candidate. Mm. And uh, this is a, this is a failed pilot called Savage. Ready three. Time. All right, we're right on it. Coming up. Six seconds. Give me a cigarette. What you said? Don't argue. Five, four, three, two, one. Slide. Few titles. Ready one. Take one. Good evening. This is Paul Savage. Music. His his name is Savage. His name is Savage. Yeah. Oh, that's too easy. It's I. How many? There are good. There are good shows. Mm. That are named after people, you know, Columbo, yeah, uh, uh, Murder She Wrote, uh, <laughs> played. <laughs> it's, it's, it was it was Angela Murder She Wrote, and Andrew. Was it it's hyphenated? Hyphen, it's hyphenate. Of course, it's yeah. a hyphen. It's murder, murder she, hyphen she wrote. wrote. Murder She Wrote. Murder She Wrote. Right. Yeah, of, of, I, the, it, of the Bridgeport. She the wrote. kerning was messed up on the ads, and they decided to just live with it. <laughs> 
No, but there's a lot of there's a lot of perfectly good shows named after people. But sometimes you can tell that they start with the cool sounding name. Yeah, and it has like Columbo is not a cool name. Columbo is just a name. Yeah, it's not like a badass like name or, or like Rockford. At least is a cool name. Yeah, but the it's Rockford also, Files. But it's also just a name people yeah. have. Whereas Beretta, <laughs> no one has that name. If they do, like they can you imagine mm. if you had to live up to that name? <laughs> Ridiculous. Like go when uh, Adam West was talking about. No, that was Brannigan. No, that was Bennigan. No, that was Beretta. <laughs> there were a lot mm. of, in particular, cop shows uh, at the time or detective shows that were just named after the lead character. Colchak mm. uh, is another one, and the names were kind of distinctive, or maybe they were cool. And this is clearly of a piece with that. It's a bad name. He's not a savage person. In fact, he's actually very disciplined and controlled. Mm. You would think that if he's playing like this investigative journalist and the show is called Savage, he would be maybe a disreputable investigative journalist or a journalist who didn't care about the consequences of his actions and just wanted to give you the truth. And that's why they call him Savage. And no, no, his name is Paul Savage. His name is Paul Savage. And he's like a, a... He's a, a hard-hitting investigative reporter. Mm-hmm. He, he's like, uh, um, not Arlie Ermey, uh, he's the actor. <laughs> Ed, Edward R. Murrow um, yeah. was, was the character I was thinking of. Sort of like Edward R. Murrow in a yeah. lot of ways. He's, he's uh, highly respected, very Highly famous. respected. He's, he comes from this era of TV where you could hire somebody just to be smart on television. Yeah. And that was the shtick. They didn't have to like look sexy mm. or necessarily truss it up with a lot of melodrama. He was just... Yeah, he's he's good. Yeah, people he, just you you trust him. He knows do, what he's talking do about. Do intelligent yeah. and uh, and he uh, he leads up a very small investigative team. Uh, his his uh, uh, producer. primary his producer is uh, Barbara Bain mm-hmm. uh, or Gail Abbott is the character. She's played by Barbara Bain, mm-hmm. and um, they also have they were, they, you uh, might you might remember from Mission Impossible. Yeah. And there's also a young Steven Spielberg type, the the cameraman who is kind of also helping them. He's sort of like their sidekick. Yeah, and uh, he's he's a really really great photographer, and he mm. has a knack for catching things that just happen to be important. Mm. Like there's a scene later on in the movie where they go to a motel to interview some people, and he sees some people leaving the hotel, and he just starts filming them. And it turns out he filmed like a like the FBI quietly arresting somebody and trying not to get noticed. And, and so and he's, they, he's and just got a good eye. Immediately, yeah. He's got a really good eye. Um, so that's cool. Uh, the the show or the pilot was had a really good pedigree in the writers' room. Uh, it was written by uh, three people: Mark Rogers, who had a long history in television. He also wrote the te- the screenplay to an amazing William Castle film called Let's Kill Uncle, <laughs> which, if you've never seen it, is just this like really ghoulish horror movie for kids about a kid who inherits like um, like millions of dollars. This is in the sixties. And his uncle is supposed to take care of him. And his uncle was an assassin in World War II. And he decides he's going to kill his his new nephew. And he tells his nephew about it. <laughs> and he's like, I, I have to kill you. You're, you're very charming, <laughs> but you're not $5 million charming. So I'm going to try to kill you. But I can't. it can't look like murder. It has to look like an accident. That gives you a fighting chance. Maybe you'll kill me first. <laughs> Really great. Oh, God bless William Castle. Really, um, really great movie. Um, yeah. It's also written by uh, William Link. Uh, William Link created Columbo, created Murder, She Wrote. Uh, and it's also written by Richard Levis- Levinson, who co-created Murder, She Wrote and co-created Columbo. 
uh, these are like TV royalty. Yeah, and they, yeah. they had, uh, and this was around the time they were making hits. This wasn't like before or after. They, oh, they this, were still hardworking and everything. I mean, yeah. it, it, not, not, not that they were resting on their laurels. My point is, my they, point is they were a hot commodity. They, they were certainly mm-hmm. well-respected, and, you know, every TV producer usually goes through some sort of fallow period. You yeah. look at some of the super producers, like your Stephen J. Cannells or your Glenn A. Larson's or whatever, and mm-hmm. between every giant thing that they've done, they do a couple of manimals, you know, where it's like, we it was a thought, we tried, didn't mm-hmm. work out, the next one will, you know? And this is one that didn't work out, obviously. We'll talk about why we think that is. Uh, so, yeah, co-stars Barbara Bain, and... I actually think uh, uh, this one opens like it opens in an interesting way. It opens like a Hitchcock movie at like a passport photography place mm. where a young woman is getting her passport done. And then a man is mysteriously tailing her and trying to find out why she's getting her passport taken. Is she leaving the country? And then we cut to the TV studio where the show is about to go on live in like 45 seconds. And it's filmed in that just wonderfully energetic Spielbergian sort of way where there's a lot of fast edits. There's mm-hmm. a lot of little bits of incidental dialogue that don't really overlap, but it sounds like there's a lot really going on. Which is amazing because uh, there's very little going on. Yeah. It's just getting ready to shoot a TV show, but which is the, exciting, but, the, the but not ex- that exciting. The excitement is really high, though. Like, there's yeah. there's energy in the room. Spielberg yeah. is expert at that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Spielberg is working uh, with a cinematographer, Bill Butler, who would go on to shoot Jaws. Mm. Uh, and also did a ton of classic movies. He shot uh, he shot Grease. Uh, he shot The Conversation. He shot One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, he shot several of the Rocky movies. Uh, he was the visual consultant on Secret of Nim. Oh, uh, wow, so like okay. really, he shot the original Child's Play. Like just a really yeah. accomplished cinematographer. And you can tell we've watched a lot of TV movies and we've watched a lot of TV shows from the nineteen seventies. Mm. And there's this stigma we have against a lot of tv movies of the era where it's like oh they're cheap you know they're kind of thrown together sometimes but that not unilaterally and there's a lot of them that actually do have a lot of ambition a lot of filmmakers who are trying to prove something and it's pretty clear that spielberg even though he'd already made duel and it's my understanding that he wasn't like super excited about this project i he clearly didn't want to half-ass this he wanted to prove that he could he was turning this into a real movie yeah and the opening is a really excellent condensation of that, where we're going to take just prepping to do a show. There's a there's a ticking clock. Will Martin Landau's helicopter land? Will he get there in time? And he gets there like two seconds before the film the, the film's cameras start to roll. Um, and you get a lot of business. You get a lot of people behind the scenes. A lot of yeah, a lot of wild camera angles. But it doesn't feel like random and we found it all in the editing room. It felt like we wanted to convey chaos, but yeah. do it in a very controlled yeah, 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 way. For sure. um, it's a really, really great opening. And it actually reminded me a bit of Orson Welles's uh, F for fake when he's like filming like the okay, inside of an yeah. editing bay uh-huh. and he's just trying to make the process of filmmaking look exciting mm. by sort of chopping it into the tiniest pieces possible to just create this frenetic look. Even though if you were just looking at someone working at a desk, it would just be like, Click, right. click, snip. But if you go click, close up, <laughs> snip, all of a sudden it seems really exciting and dynamic. And Spielberg's doing that really expertly. Um, so the plot uh, kicks in when uh, there's going to be a new Supreme Court justice. Um, there's a guy, his name is something. <laughs> something. I looked, it's in here somewhere. 
I forget his name. Will Gear. Will Gear. Thank you. Uh, Will Gear is. Uh, yeah, he's he's next in line to be the Supreme Court. He's been nominated, and it looks like it's going to be pretty clear sailing. Yeah. They're just going to check this guy out, ask a few questions, maybe interview his wife. Maybe there's an interesting story there. What's the angle? How do we find an angle? And then while Savage is just having a drink and eating his dinner one night, a young woman from the opening of the film comes up to him and says, I've been having a sordid affair with that man, and I have photographic evidence, and I would like $5,000. <laughs> and he's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> let me put, hold on, let me put my sandwich down. Um, Will Gear is, uh, first of all, has an, an enormously long filmography. He's been in yeah. dozens and dozens of movies. Uh, but um, he is known to me because of his theater out in Topanga Canyon here in Southern California. Oh. The Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, uh, it's this beautiful little, uh, little outdoor theater out in the thicket. You get, and there's no backdrop. It's just sort of, you get to, you know, the, look up the side of the mountain. That's cool. It, it, it's essentially a space that was invented to put on productions of A Midsummer Night's Dream. And they do a lot of Shakespeare there. It's actually a really, really great venue. Uh, if you've never been there, you might know him from The Waltons. He played Grandpa Walton. Mm. Uh, he was also in Jeremiah Johnson. And just look him up. He's been in a ton of things. Yeah. Uh, just His, his name is Riker in the in Savage. Yeah, that took me a second. I mm. was like, mm. um, but uh, so uh, so this young woman says, uh, hey, I got I got all the dirt. I got mm. all the scoop. And I want you to give me five, which is actually not a lot of money for what really could be a gigantic, a gigantic news story, a huge scandal, torpedo, mm. like this big political move, yeah. you know, basically potentially change the fate of the entire country. $5,000. Yeah, that's more mm. money in the 70s, but it still seems pretty yeah. low. <laughs> what a naive time that a, a Supreme Court justice with some kind of scandal in his past yeah. can prevent him from serving. We need to talk about the ending, actually. That's one of the things I have an issue with in this show. <laughs> but uh, let's we'll get there. Um, we'll get there. Um, so Martin Lando is, of course, very interested and curious, but he's got to think it over, and he talks it over with his producers. And by the time he has come to any sort of conclusion, she's dead. <laughs> she has she, fallen off of a window. <laughs> Wink. Yeah, she, she fell from a balcony, but, uh, you know... Was it murder or not? And uh, uh, and we'll no. find out eventually, won't we? Now, Keep watching Savage. Paul Savage is... What I appreciate is he's really quick moving. He sees something and there's no torture. Mm -hmm. There's no confusion. There's no outrage. It's just, okay, this happened. We got to take these steps to figure out what's going on here. Because mm -hmm. clearly there's some kind of mystery. We uh, Like, there, there's no meeting. They just all agree. Yeah. In fact, uh, that that's the thing I like is that uh, the... the the three main investigative characters are always on the same page. They really need to confer. Yeah. They just all know what needs to be done. And they're already, it's like they're already in season eight. Yeah. <laughs> There's no hackneyed thing. There's a yeah. thing they do in a lot of TV shows and sometimes movies where we, we, the storytellers want to introduce us to a world where everyone knows each other and is working like a well-oiled machine. And so oftentimes the narrative trick you do is you introduce a new character into that dynamic and mm -hmm. then we'll be introduced to that dynamic through that person's eyes. And it sounds like a good idea until you realize it almost never works mm -hmm. because everyone has to stop what they're doing to inorganically explain what they're doing. And it's it ruins the vibe. It ruins the the uh, the overall um, ensemble feel that you're going for, and it feels really really clunky. And nine times out of ten, the character you created just to have things introduced to them mm. is completely unimportant to the story. Yeah. Uh, Hellboy we, syndrome. Yeah, we, we were well. Myers was the name of yeah. that character we, for a brief period. We were calling that Myers syndrome after yeah. the useless 
protagonist of the movie Hellboy. Yeah, a character who was super important in Hellboy, and like they talked him up, and he got to be the voiceover narration. The movie's called Hellboy, but it's actually about this Myers guy. And at the end, he takes over John Hurt's job, and oh man, it's gonna be great to really follow this Myers guy. Hellboy Two comes along, and it's just like we didn't like him, so he's working in Alaska now, and that's <laughs> it. He's out of the story completely with one line of dialogue when he was the protagonist last time. Why? Mm-hmm. He served his function and now he's gone. We, we, we can accept now that we live in a world with a Hellboy and a Fishman and just spend time with them. Yeah, I actually really, I agree. I really like this dynamic. It reminds me of a Michael Mann movie where yeah, you're, or, you're, you're just immersed gonna, in a world where everyone knows their job and does their job. I, I was going to compare it to uh, David Mamet's Spartan. Uh, oh, yeah. ever saw Spartan, which was about uh, CIA guys. Val Kilmer plays a CIA guy and they, there's... He has a few scenes with other CIA guys, and I have no idea what they're talking about. And I like that. <laughs> it's all just shop. Like, they understand their own. Was he CIA own... or was he, like, Secret Service? In oh, it was, was, some, was some, some sort of government spy yeah, gov- yeah. government organization. Yeah, Great, great movie, Spartan. Please see it. It, it. it doesn't get talked about enough. But, yeah, it's a good example. Uh, um, and... t- but it, it's they're so laid back, and they're so, uh, you know, baseline communicative when it comes to the things they need to say to one another that it actually becomes a little bit difficult to follow what's going on. <laughs> a little bit. It's like, oh, oh, they see something and they just sort of split and start investigating. It's like, I, I would appreciate a little exposition. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I looked up a review of this from, this aired on March 31st, 1973. Uh, and, uh, the review that I saw from, I think it was Hollywood Reporter, mm. said the problem with it is that there's too much exposition. And I'm like, like <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a mystery, so they're talking about the story a lot. That is not the same as exposition. Mm. Also, I like that they just threw us into this and just have everyone like just talking about their job mm. and stuff. I like that they're not taking a break all the time to deal with their baggage. Oftentimes, that, that can be a movie's problem, that yeah. it's just too fast-paced and we don't get to know them. Here, they're about their work. If a character isn't about their job and all you see them doing is their job, mm. then it's kind of boring to see them do it. But here, what what are these people? They're reporters by trade and by lifestyle. So seeing them work is exciting. And yeah, it's a little hard to follow sometimes, but I find it usually clicks back into place after a scene or two. Mm. So I was never lost for very long, yeah. which I appreciated. Um, I mean, I, I, I do... I value that cla- you know, that really casual nature, and I like being lost in shop, but at the same time, I, I do like little tastes of clarity every now and again. <laughs> um, so uh, the story basically uh, is, uh, they start investigating, they find out that this young woman's apartment was way too expensive for her, and it was being paid for by like a mysterious company. Mm. And so they're trying to figure out who was paying for this woman's apartment that is entirely above her pay grade. And they start pulling out the threads and they find out that there is this rich guy. Basically, he's like the Koch brothers. He's incredibly wealthy mm. and he wants to influence politics. Um. He doesn't necessarily want to be a politician. He just wants to influence them. He wants to put, put himself in a situation where he has power over the political system without having to deal with the actual mm. political system, which theoretically has checks and balances that would prevent him from being able to do whatever he wanted. Rich people getting involved in politics. What a, what a wild fictional story. Yeah. The, look, you know, after all the president's men came out, <laughs> I feel like the lid was kind of blown off a lot of this stuff and it became fodder for stuff like TV movies. I just realized something. Hmm. We got a, we got a cast member wrong. 
Oh, was Will was, Gear was not the judge. Oh, Will Gear was the rich guy. Will Gear was the rich guy. Right. That's I, I followed I your lead because I he seems so confident. Now yeah, the judge is named Judge Daniel Stern. He is played by actor Barry Sullivan. We're gonna oh, leave okay. this in because we're because Pobody's nerfect. Uh, but Barry Sullivan was in a ton of stuff. At recently, at the time he'd been in the movie Earthquake, or he's just about to be in the movie Earthquake. He was in the Bad and the Beautiful. He had a long, 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 long history of credits. Uh, and his wife is played by Louise Latham. Uh, and uh, she's not super important to the story at first, but she gets one of the last words, mm-hmm. which is an interesting scene, and I want to talk about. Um, so they're trying to investigate this guy, and they tell him. They said, listen, we don't, we're, we're running out of leads. We don't have a lot to go on. Mm-hmm. Let's just call the guy and ask, hey, did you have an affair with this lady? And they, they call the guy up, and he's at a birthday party for his wife, and he leaves to talk to the savage, and he's like, Okay, uh, this looks bad, but look, I met this lady at a party. We had dinner. I helped her out a little. Is that really so bad? And then Savage keeps pulling out the threads, and he realizes that this party was put on by this really rich guy who was trying to attract influential people and trying to encourage the women at his party, some of whom worked for him, to sleep with them. And then put them in a compromising situation that he could then leverage for political gain. Yeah. So whether or not the judge actually was corrupted is a question that the that the show never really answers. But he was put himself in a position to be, and therein lies the I, ethical either, conundrum. Either, either way, he's compromised. He's compromised uh, yeah. on some level, certainly. But the question, the question, it's a, it's the, it's an ethical question that is posed to Savage by the end. Um, Everything in the middle, it's mostly just business, okay? So there's uh, we meet a woman who knew the murder victim. Uh, she's doing a commercial, hmm. uh, and so we visit the set of the commercial, and it's a lot of good business. We, we meet uh, the yeah. billionaire. The, the billionaire is like one of the... You know, like in, in mystery stories where you meet a new character, and they're always in the middle of doing something that tells you a lot about their character, hmm. but you realize it's not so much telling you a lot about their character as it is the writer is trying to make a scene not boring. Yes. So here he's, here, here he's, he's looking at his a- classic book. It's illuminated manuscripts. Yeah, he has a whole I a, collection. I have a Gutenberg Bible. I have a million first editions. Okay. Are you not impressed? Exposition, exposition, yeah. exposition, and now you're out of the room. Well, and, and uh, it, well, that was also a good character moment for Paul Savage because mm. he recognized the books and he didn't care. Yeah, it's not a big deal for he's, him. He's, he, not, he's he not impressed. Is, he's not distractible. Yeah. Uh, people, I, I have, I have a feeling that money or fame. He's got the, fame. He doesn't care about that. Had this gone to series, there probably would have been scenes where people try to distract him. Like I can blackmail you or uh, here's, here's my, here's my sexy secretary or some such thing to try to get him to like lose track, lose his train of thought. And he never would That'd yeah. probably be a running, running gag of the show. That's a good gag. Actually. Um, we need more stalwart to, heroes who represent, I mean, yeah, yeah, people make mistakes in real life, but mm. sometimes you want characters who represent, the ideal so that you have something to aspire to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think Paul, I think Paul Savage does it well. And I think Martin Landau plays it well. He's good. I, I think he's really, uh, you know, straightforward, very steel trap kind of closed minded, not closed minded, cold minded kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that's an intriguing guy because he's always going to be on, on the task at hand. You know yeah. where he's coming from. Uh, the director of the commercial that you mentioned was the, that weaselly little guy from young Frankenstein. Oh yeah, I, Mr. I reckon, Mr. Frankenstein. Isn't it true? Yeah, that, that guy. Uncle, 
Yeah, that guy. I've, I've seen him like crop up in supporting roles here and there. We, I like we, him. We did an episode of uh, one of our shows on Patreon. It's called Not on Disney Plus, and we mm. talk about movies that should be on Disney Plus but mysteriously are not. And one of the films that we had that we reviewed on that I think last year was uh, the world's greatest athlete, and he played mm. the weaselly like college professor who's trying to get the coach fired uh. because he enlisted. Uh, Tarzan, played by Jan Michael Vincent, to play for their track and field team. You know, it's a silly film. Mm. Yeah, the actor is named Danny Goldman, uh, probably best known for playing Brainy Smurf. Yeah, which honestly, <laughs> Brainy Smurf, I'm going to say this right now. The Smurfs, mm. iconic, not great storytelling. Can we agree on that? They're just kind of, eh. You know, I, I'm not. I'm not being insulting. They're just not. They're they're not super ambitious. The original comics were much better than any of the TV or movies. From what I've read, I, that's that's mm-hmm. totally true. But Brainy Smurf, I like Brainy Smurf. <laughs> I don't necessarily like him as a person. I don't know if I want to hang out with him. No, he's, he's he's a smug jerk. He's but he's a character who is a protagonist in a story. He's he's never the bad guy. Mm. He might be insensitive, maybe, but he's never the bad guy. And. Yet he's unlikable. Hmm. He's an unlikable good guy. Yeah. And that's something that is not in a lot of narrative fiction. <laughs> where you're just willing to make a, a protagonist. It's like he's like the third or fourth lead of the Smurfs on any given episode. Hmm. But he's just, he's there. He's always there. And he's just kind of a piece of crap. Like he's just like, just looks just down on everybody. Rude, he's smug. Yeah. yeah. But he's never wicked or anything. I remember Eddie Izzard had a whole bit about um, how Shaggy and Scooby were great characters in literature because they're protagonists, but they're cowards. And that's Mm. really rare. Yeah. And uh, he equated them to Falstaff (laughs) because it's like it's that level because it's an atypical character. Mm. So I like Brandy Smurf and Starscream for me are like the two 80s animated characters who I actually well, have a lot of respect for as characters and not as people. Starscream was a villain so that yeah. made a little bit more sense. But, but also uh, yeah. very also very Shakespearean, very Richard mm. III. I, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. It's sort of s- sniveling amoral sidekicks. Yeah, well I guess Marvin and Iago but anyway. Um, Brainy, but Brainy Smurf's in Savage. He has a yes. brief scene. He's, and he's fun. He's always mm. fun. Um, and, and, and yeah, and he play, and he's smug and he's condescending. He's like four lines of dialogue, but he's smug and condescending. He, he knows how to take his scene and run with it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so it all boils down to they figure out everything going on. Uh, and uh, the the actress who was working on that commercial, directed by Brandy Smurf, uh, is basically willing to talk to Savage about all of the illicit dealings that this millionaire slash billionaire is up to. Uh, and because of that, the millionaire slash billionaire's bodyguard uh, is ready to kill her, just like he killed the other lady. Mm. She is waiting in Savage's studio in the, in the dead of night. And, and this is a pretty good climax. It's really well photographed. <laughs> the whole thing is well photographed. There's this like really great shot of uh, like at the funeral where this this actress shows up and she's got her veil and like there's this great side shot of her, pure profile shot. Behind the veil, looking very moody, and then there's a shot of Martin Landau looking at her from the side, and it's almost like a shot from Persona. <laughs> and then the but the veil is only covering his face. It's like this is really well photographed. This is a good looking <laughs> film. And this whole sequence at the end where she's in this TV studio and the killer turns out the lights 
and he's shadowing her and you see his silhouette really large in the foreground and her silhouette really small in the background and she's but she's like backlit so he actually can see them and really start shadows it's really good looking yeah yeah. the spielberg guy is got some potential i think he might go on to make some pretty pretty big movies yeah movies like ready player one yeah uh and but of, but of course uh, Paul Savage is there uh, t- tailing the killer. Yeah. So he ends up getting the drop on him. Yeah, and he uh, says that he have, I've been filming you this whole time. There's no point in killing anybody. And uh, he guys like sort of stymied. He's like, oh shit, this it was kind of stupid to kill someone yeah, in a and, TV and, studio. And he's in front of a did, camera but... and he doesn't know yeah. what to do. Yeah. So Paul Savage takes his gun away, and then he just says, uh, "By the way, the cameras weren't rolling." Uh, Bye. <laughs> Like, gotcha. well, well, he, he, he like, explains it all. It's like savage. It, it, it takes 30 minutes for one of these cameras just to warm up. So, yeah, even if yeah. I had flipped it on right when you entered, it still wouldn't be good to go. Yeah. Also, we don't send things out live just like that. It's actually just like all randomly. Big, it's a big kind of complicated process. People are like, hey, I was watching when Earth col- when, when Earths collide. Why is when worlds what, collide? When worlds collide. I was watching when worlds collide at 2 a.m. Why am I all of a sudden watching this woman getting stalked in a movie <laughs> studio? Weird. Yeah. Um, but whatever. But so again, that's it works. It's in the story. It, it, it works works and, and I, again it speaks well of uh paul savage as a character where he, he's he's gonna get the drop on the bad guy by like pulling the subterfuge on him but he's so like scrupulously honest that even when he has the drop on the killer he's going to explain to him not to gloat just to be honest about it yeah okay yes i got the drop on you but i, I have to admit i lied and here's how i lied my bad um and and ordinarily that would be kind of it mm. it would be kind of over and uh they're talking about how like Ah yes, well we've got the we've got this billionaire on attempted murder. There's no way he'll ever post bail. We'll talk about that in a second. Mm. Uh, and then uh, they're going to run this story, and then uh, the judge's wife shows up, mm. and we've only seen her in like one and a half scenes. And she says, "I know you have a story you're running on my husband. I know he was cheating on me. I was going through some serious mental health issues, and I do not begrudge him." Mm. A very minor dalliance in which I genuinely believe he never had sex with her. Mm. So if I don't care and if the president and listen, if the president of the United States of America would hear about all of this and decide he still wants this person on the Supreme Court, really, who are you to say that this person doesn't deserve Mm. uh, uh, forgiveness, doesn't deserve forgiveness and doesn't deserve to be on the Supreme Court. Uh, worth noting that when this episode came out, Richard Nixon would have been in office and all that shit that you saw in the movie The Post would have been out there. <laughs> uh, so this is not exactly like the president who's just like this like absolutely unassailable, non-divisive figure who everyone just agrees with and M- Morally likes. upstanding, yeah, human being. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, and but Paul Savage points out, uh, he had put himself in a position to be influenced at the bench, potentially on the Supreme Court, by special interests directly, not just vaguely, not just because he's got biases because he's human, but because of blackmail material. Mm. Uh, who's to say it won't happen again? Who's to say he won't? cheat on you again the, and put himself in this exact same situation all over the, again. The, the line is, when does the next girl come along? Yeah. Mm. And she kind of looks at him and goes, she kind of like nods, that's a fair point, but I stand by this. Mm. And the whole argument is, surely this rich white man 
deserves infinite number of chances and deserves everything that he has been offered, even if he has done things in his past that could potentially make him absolutely the wrong person to be on the Supreme Court. At which point Paul Savage thinks about it, mm. and when the opportunity comes along to ask the Supreme Court nominee a question and like break the story and make it a whole thing, he decides not to. Mm. And they decide to just go and run their next story again, and they're off to the next adventure. And, 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 and they and they run from the the climax. Yeah, because like, oh there's, shit, we got we got to go live another, in, in twenty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so we got to come gotta up with this new... other story, real 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 fast. I actually like that early um, on when they're talking about they're mm. investigating this guy. They don't know if there's a story yet. They talk about having a story on backup. Yeah, just because yeah. they got to run something. Um, it struck me as being very cynically 70s. This came out in 1973. This was around the time when a lot of cinema was turning uh, very cynical and very, you know, I mentioned all the president's men, uh, you know, films like five easy pieces and easy writer were already out there. And Mm -hmm. um, this mistrust of, of of authority and this knowledge that everything was just sort of fundamentally broken Mm. was a big part of a lot of entertainment at the time. Yeah. So I didn't necessarily see this as Paul Savage forgiving him or giving him a pass. I saw it, it as him giving up. See, I wish that it framed that way. Mm. If, I feel like it had been framed as, like, I would he, like he, you to... He, I, he could confront like her, this guy, but it wouldn't have done any good. Here's here's how what I wish had been said. I think mm. this is the sort of thing where if you want this to come across, it needs to be addressed. The wife comes in. And she says all of these things, and she tries to appeal to his better nature. She tries to appeal to his heart. Mm. Hey, you're an influential white man. Yeah. What, you know, if shit happened to you, wouldn't you want some forgiveness? Wouldn't you think you'd, you know, all that kind of stuff? And then when that doesn't work, she could point out, is anyone really going to give a shit Mm. that this guy cheated on somebody? It doesn't make him necessarily a bad judge. Nothing actually happened. It probably won't affect anything. And then he could just roll those dice or not. And it, you, you could get this story and you'll be a headline for a minute. And then five minutes later, something else is going to happen. You could address that. Yeah. And then that could be the point. And that would be a great point, And that would be fair. And that would be cynical. But the thing is, is that I feel like there's this inherent hopefulness here. The idea that this billionaire who it didn't actually personally kill somebody and just Mm. a flunky did it. So he's got some plausible deniability here uh, that this guy is of course going to jail and there's no follow-up. That's naive. Uh, We've got, that's the fantasy. That's the fantasy. I get Mm. that. That's the fantasy. And we all want to believe that, but we also know, I think we even knew then that that's not really how it worked all the time. And, uh, and and I, I realize now we're looking at it with contemporary goggles where we're looking at like we just came off of this like staggeringly corrupt administration where people did genuinely corrupt things and then mm. just got a presidential just, just pardon openly. and shit. Yeah, yeah. And it's just and then, you know, there was an impeachment trial and a whole bunch of people were just like in, in the Senate were just like, yeah, but we don't care. <laughs> Great. Mm. Thanks. America, everybody. Every movie that ever ended with, well, it's a good thing we got the evidence to like the courthouse or that yeah. this will go like at the end of uh, going clear to, and present danger where Jack Ryan's going to speak in front of Congress and we're going to take down this corrupt president. We're going to no. expose everything. And now we've learned you, you just say it themselves now and nobody yeah. cares and people so, just fall in line. So this kind of storyline doesn't really work very well right now in modern context. But mm. I think even then it's not quite bitter enough for me to have that impact. And I ultimately feel that because they frame it specifically around trying to like tug at 
Savage's heartstrings and like here is this man who may have made a mistake but it wasn't intentional and we didn't actually do anything Mm -hmm. directly corrupt and doesn't he deserve a chance Richard Nixon thinks he deserves a chance and he's an honorable man like (laughs) which is got him it is might have been kind of funny even at the time but it's hard to say uh but like by by appealing to that it comes across as a little naive to me and honestly made me like Paul Savage a little less as a character because a part of me just wanted to be like no fuck it do it Mm. Do it. <laughs> Fucking do it. This Just is tear, all bullshit. Tear it down. Yeah. Tear yeah. it down, man. Like a part of me was like really wanted that renegade thing, but I guess we weren't there. I don't know. Yeah, maybe um, maybe there was a cooler earlier draft and they just crunched it down. No, for it, it felt like it felt like because he's such a subdued character, Paul Savage, yeah. that he wouldn't have done sort of the big dramatic thing. He wasn't sort of uh eager to give a big show of drama. He's he's a dramatic care um t- television personality. Yeah. But yeah, he's, he's not going to uh, necessarily go out of his way to make a scene. He's just going to do it when the story needs it. Yeah. Uh, and but yeah, I, I didn't see this as a him softening at all. And in fact, uh, he's taken to task that if we don't question this guy, he could be legitimately corrupted. Yeah. And and, and he Paul, decides to do it. What and, the hell? He decides to just let that happen. Yeah. And he said, and weird. And he doesn't have any sort of dialogue. I think he just sort of looks at her and then walks away. It's not like. Yeah, you're right. But then he has the opportunity where the where the judge himself literally says, "Like, hey, uh, thank you for letting us interview with the uh, you at the steps of your Senate hearing." Uh, and the judge literally looks to Savage and just says, "Is there anything you'd like to ask, Mister Savage?" He gives him a chance, hmm. and he would have had to deal with it. Yes, he has a scene with Savage earlier, where Savage is telling him everything. Here's everything that's laid out. Here's why we think this story is important, and I I know it's bad for you, and that sucks for you, but this is the world this is the country this is the american judicial system this is more important than that and the guy says a guy tries to explain himself he says i really don't think it was that big a deal and he says you it's a free country you can do whatever you want i don't have to like it Mm. and that's that like i i don't have i'm not going to talk to you i'm not going to i don't respect you for it i disagree with you and then he leaves and so this judge is actually not like this cartoonishly evil person. And in the end, he gives Savage a chance. Here, yeah, go for it, man. This is mm. your chance. Do it. It's your free country. And Savage doesn't. And I was just a little disappointed in Savage. And mm. not in a cynical, you know, 1970s, like three days of the Condor ending kind of way, but right. in like a. No, I, but in, I, I, but in I, a way I, I that just felt mean, like. Yeah. It felt like it wasn't a very good ending okay. to me. Um, so that was a little disappointing. But overall, I really liked this. Yeah, I, I, I like the character. I like the tone. I did like the, the very business-like atmosphere of it. Um, this would have made a great series. I think so. I, I think, you know, a, a really sort of famous investigative reporter just doing his job and doing it well yeah. and going into the scandal of the day, whatever yeah. the story was going to be. There's infinite stories you could milk out of this. Yeah, instead I of having a murder really every good. single week like in Columbo, it's mm. just some big news story and maybe mm. it's some kind of, you know, corruption scandal, or maybe it's some sort of big business thing that's going down, a big business deal that could change everyone's lives, or, you know, there are cars that are killing people, and we have to look into this big cover-up, or basically anything you would see on 60 Minutes, Mm -hmm. we'll turn it into a show. Cool. You can say a lot with that, you can be really topical if you want, like... Shit, do that. And you got a whole studio full of people who could uh, be potential supporting characters, so you yeah. don't have to just have the, the central three. I love... I like which is really it. a central two, but... Um, yeah, but yeah, give the guy a little bit more 
more stuff as the series goes on. But um, yeah, I really do think that the, taking this, and we've seen shows about news programs before, The Newsroom, which was frankly always a little insufferable. And by a little, I mean usually a lot. Um, and that the problem with that one is that they're always trying to deal with like real news stories from about a year ago. Yeah. So it's easy to Monday morning quarterback that with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, not that I'm saying everything was forgivable and everything that they covered in the newsroom, but what I mean is when it's easy to have your characters always make the right call or always say the right thing if you are only looking back in the, with the benefit of hindsight. Mm. So making up your own stories is actually a lot stronger, I think, in this kind of scenario. That's yeah, cool. I, I like this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say right now, cancel too soon. I think so too. I, yeah. I wish I could have seen uh, more of this. Yeah. I wish I could have seen the team in action again. Um, I can see why maybe it was looked over. You look at something like Columbo. Columbo has a lot of personality. Yeah. Uh, he, he He's is, eccentric. He's quirky. Yeah. It's like, a, hey, I'm investigating a murder. Can I lay down on your couch? It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Columbo, get your head in the game. Oh, it's been in the game this whole time. You sneaky Columbo. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, you look at Rockford, or Rockford is sort of this, this, uh, I'd describe him as a playboy, maybe. Yeah. Um, Paul Savage is maybe a little too serious a character maybe. to lead up a really kind of sensational investigation show. Maybe. I like that, well, but I like that kind of bi- all business approach to a, a drama like that. But that feels like a note you could have for as the series goes on, mm-hmm. like, Hey, that was good for a pilot. We want a little bit more personality and a little bit more inner character dynamics. So let's just add like another person to the cast and like mm. jazz up that aspect a little. Well, what, what you, you do need, that? What you need is there. There. This is a, a show of, uh, populated entirely by straight men. Yeah. By, by serious types. Uh, see, yeah. Not. Not. Uh, not. Cis het man. I meant uh, although like, it, it, except for it, Barbara Bain, it is. It, but yeah. it, it is, but uh, yeah. no, it's just all all of all the really serious characters, and it could use a little levity. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you cast like a young naive person who's a little bit lost, somebody you can yeah. kind of laugh along with, or or you could have a thing where you know, they are working at a TV station. There are network executives. Mm-hmm. And they might yeah. not always be working oh, and, and, at, and, in hand in hand with their show. And did we didn't mention Dabney Coleman? Oh yeah, I forgot about yeah. Dabney Coleman. Dabney yeah. Coleman, who is. Uh, um, is he's not the executive, but he's like uh, Paul Savage's like boss. Yeah, the the guy he like answers to. He is he, Debney Coleman's in this from for a few scenes. Yeah, he, wait, Debney Coleman isn't the FBI agent he's talking to, like cleaning out the pipe. I thought he, I thought he was like working for the station. I thought that guy was. Hmm. Anyway, it's, it, <laughs> this illustrates you know, the point. I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting it. You wrong. know what? This illustrates uh, the point right yeah. here, where there's actually so much dialogue in the show, where it, maybe there isn't enough exposition, and maybe we we aren't following <laughs> as clearly as we thought, because we it's, both looked at the same character and thought he had a completely different job. Okay. Well, you know what? I I have these kinds of uh, lapses in understanding all the time, so I'm the wrong. I, I accept openly that I'm wrong. We, here. we see these things uh, once. They're not um, always in great condition. Sometimes the sound isn't great, and you have mm. to concentrate a little harder. Because this is this is not like a well-preserved thing. This has never been released on DVD that I know of. This mm-hmm. has never been. This is not on Blu-ray. This isn't. It did, like, it did end up getting broadcast at one point. Yeah, I uh, said it was. It aired on March thirty-first, nineteen seventy-three. Um, it aired at least a couple more times on TV. Trio is a network that had 
a really good series and we've used uh you know recordings off of trio for our material on more than one occasion trio had a series called brilliant but canceled which is basically our show without us in it where it's basically <laughs> well, they- like we we just have these all of these interesting shows that only lasted an episode or a couple of episodes and now they're gone but they're still interesting television so trio mm-hmm. put them on the air thanks <laughs> that's cool that's a great thing you did thank you trio so there's a lot of shows that kind of only exists in online spaces because people recorded them off of Trio. And I'm grateful for that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, this this absolutely could have had legs. Uh, obviously Spielberg was done and going to move on and probably not return to the show, but I would have liked to have seen it. Martin Landau was really good in it. Barbara Bain was really good in it. Yeah, more Savage, please. That'd be fucking <laughs> awesome. So uh, yeah, Spielberg. Turned out he had some talent. And Good he, for him. And he would go on to make The Post. Yes. No, I've, I've seen The Post. I know how Steven Spielberg feels about Nixon. Yeah. Well, and again, but that, it's interesting, actually. This would actually be a really great double feature with The Post. Like, I would mm. love that. Oh, yeah, if, I, if, we, sure. if we could do, like, a double feature sort of retrospective where you take, like, you know, a filmmaker's really prominent work and then some obscure thing that they've done and, like, batch them up together, this would be a, a, an ideal double feature for Steven Spielberg. One, because you'd get the screen savage for a lot of people who would ordinarily <laughs> never get to see it. But two, because I think The Post is a, is an excellent motion picture. Is it a little heavy-handed oh, at times? Yeah, that's Spielberg, it's, it's Spielberg. for you. But it's really fucking it's, good. It's actually incredibly good. Uh, yeah. It's it's I. I've called it one of the defining pictures of the Trump era. I think it's fair. Po- I think it's yeah. fair to say. And yeah. I think it's, and it's, it's Spielberg's last great film. His last film was ready player one. And I think that was abysmal. It was, yeah. And I, he hasn't I, made, and he hasn't made a film since. So, um, no, he's got West side story coming up. That was oh, supposed, true. That was supposed to be out already. So, okay. you know, in another year that would have been out, but it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. So he does have another film on the horizon. It is a remake of West side story and he's doing other stuff as well. Um, so he's still working. He's a hardworking gentleman and good for him. Um, but yeah, The Post, if you missed it, I know a lot of people weren't in the mood because it seemed almost too topical and we, every, all everyone was talking about for a long time was politics. Uh, give it a watch or give it a rewatch if maybe you watched it and thought it was too soon. It's an excellent motion picture. Mm. And it tackles some of the same concepts and ideas as Savage. It's about the exact same era as Savage. Um, or a few years earlier, but regardless, and uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it's, great. it's less forgiving because it's a true story about speaking truth to power and how the people who have the information about a politician mm-hmm. uh, are actually doing their best to get that information to the public. Yeah, and so that is important. It's, it's and an, valuable. A good, yeah. uh, good, and I think a better thought out counterpoint to Savage, which Agreed. was clearly something Spielberg was kind of rushing through. Well, it's a TV movie. Your, yeah. your, your, your budget is low. Your schedule is shorter. Yeah. yeah. And again, you're trying to appease as many people as possible. Hmm. And you're going off of what the network thinks will do that, which might explain why it might explain why the ending I feel is a little bit of a cop out, but I, there are worse sense and yeah. it still doesn't, it doesn't torpedo the movie. I just don't like the ending very much. Um, but uh, yeah. So if you ever get a chance to see Savage, highly recommended we will be back next week with with another show but did, what did you think i was gonna say <laughs> think we won't be back well, we're, we'll be back here, here here's um we are we are intensely interested in the upn 
Yes, we which, are. Un, which, until Quibi came along, was the failinest network of all time. Yeah. Now it's Quibi. Uh, <laughs> UBN lost 900, or was it 800 or 900? $800 million over, yeah. the, over the course of its uh, existence, which was about 10 years. Yeah. Quibi lost about $1.7 billion in less than a year. Peacock lost about $900 million in less than a year, by the way. So <laughs> I'm not sure how Peacock is going to do, but maybe, maybe they'll pick their shit up. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, it's, my point is UPN is no longer the failinous network. No, but, ever, yeah, they, but they were like the, the most notorious for the longest time. And now we have like more, more recent examples, but uh, yeah, they, they were trying all these different shows uh, and we've, we've, Covered a few of them, and we would have covered more, but it's impossible to find these shows. Yeah, they're they're not on Paramount Plus. No, <laughs> they should be. Yeah, they, they should have a UPN it. section, but they're they're not on Paramount Plus. No, uh, and it's it's just they're they're really sweeping all of these shows under the rug. Uh, just nobody has any interest in a lot of these UPN yeah. shows. Well, again, failed TV mm. unless it has a noteworthy cult behind it, like something like. Firefly or yeah. uh, Twin Peaks, which was popular enough to come back. Uh, unless there's some cachet, unless there are people who are still actively talking about it and like, you know, demanding that this thing return, hmm. people just forget about it. They don't care. Yeah. They don't think anyone well, cares and they don't bother releasing it. Pe- pe- people don't care. They don't bother actively releasing it, but occasionally, you know, th- they'll scatter these shows to the winds. The rights will go out to who knows who. There's some kid in college somewhere uh, who's bought the rights to Special <laughs> Unit 2, and, and she's just sitting on it somewhere, and we don't know where they're going to turn up. But um, Yeah. I, happy but, uh, birthday. Here are the rights to Platypus, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> to something. I've always wanted this. Uh, but uh, because of the weird winds of popular culture, occasionally... Something like a, a little UPN prairie dog will pop its head up off of, out of the ground and we'll have access to it for a little bit. And that's the case this time because thanks to Tubi, thank you Tubi, <laughs> for catching those prairie dogs, we're going to have access to Marker. Yeah, it's one of the first shows that actually was, it debuted the second day UPN existed. The, the first day was Star Trek Voyager. Yep. And they debuted, I think, like four sitcoms on the same day. Yeah, I think Nowhere Man as well. And then there was, and then we had Marker, and Marker stars Richard Grieco, who was still pretty well known from his time on Twenty One Jump Street, mm. and, and he, who had his own spinoff of Twenty One Jump Street called, called Booker, Booker, which I confuse with Marker for reasons that mm. at the end incur. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, Marker stars Richard Grieco as a uh, construction worker who moves back to Hawaii after his billionaire father dies and ends up staying there because his billionaire father ended up giving hundreds of markers to people he met randomly in his travels. I guess all of whom live in Hawaii. And uh, whenever they have a problem, they can like turn in their marker and Richard Grieco is now obligated to help them. Yeah, the, his his billionaire father owed a lot of favors, and people have these markers. They're these little like crystal coins yeah. with a rose on them, and they come and say, "Hey, I got a marker." It's like, "Ah, oh, damn it! Now I gotta help you." And Gates McFadden is highly highly built. Yeah, she's the second lead. Gates McFadden, who was of course Doctor Beverly Crusher mm-hmm. in Star Trek: The Next Generation, so Whitney is extra excited. Although, from what I understand, she's not in it a lot. Uh, I've seen a couple of episodes already, and no. <laughs> no, she is not. So she's she, a regular. She's in every episode, but she's not in it a lot. Hmm. We'll see. Maybe maybe it picks up. 
Uh, but yeah, so that's we we finally tracked down Marker. Marker is finally available to all. Mm. Go to Tubi if you want and check out Marker. I understand some people aren't really fond of Tubi because it's owned by Fox and its proceeds go to Fox News. But it is free. You don't actually have to click on any of the commercials. And I'll say this for Tubi. Their selection is wild. They have a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> we've, we've compared them to a video store before, and Tubi's like the really awesome, independently run video store that like just scavenged the like, couple other dead video stores and compiled them all together. Yeah. So uh, they got some classics, a lot of cult movies, a lot of weird TV stuff, yeah, a lot of seventies horror shit. Mm-hmm. Like they just they just got everything. So and like and somehow I don't know how I even noticed. They have marker. And they have marker. So, so we're going to be doing marker. <laughs> so thank you to everyone who gave us marker. We finally get to do some more UPN shows and we're going to be doing markers. So thank you everybody for that. And thank you everybody for listening. Thank you everybody for subscribing. Please subscribe if you haven't already. It really helps us out a lot. If you haven't had the time to leave us a review wherever you find us, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you find us, uh, please do. Uh, it really helps us find a bigger audience. It helps people, like, when they're searching for things, run across our show and maybe find it. And then mm-hmm. we get more listeners and then we're able to do more. We would love to do more. Um, that that always helps us leave us a review. If you really want to help the show out a lot, you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, where... Uh, we offer a variety of tiers to help support the show. If you can afford it, we get you a ton of exclusive content on top of content. ton of exclusive podcasts. <laughs> Thank you. Trying to eliminate well, yeah, content to, to, from that content. St- stop referring to uh, hard work and art as content. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. So it's like it's, it's trying to do that. Sorry. But we get a lot of podcasts. We get podcasts dedicated to Batman, podcasts dedicated to Star Trek, podcasts dedicated to Disney, the Academy Awards, commentary tracks, a whole bunch of stuff just unlocks at any Patreon tier. So if you can afford to help out, that would be really great. And we'd love to have we'd love to have you. Uh, and a very special shout out to all of our current patrons without whom this show would simply not exist. We'd, we'd be yeah. gone. Thank, thank you so much for yeah. for. Uh, being here and listening to us and helping us to indulge in these weird interests of ours. Yeah. And to everyone who has already uh, checked out our Etsy store, I want to give a special thank you. Uh, we've actually done rather well for like a store that just started out on Etsy. M. Lapis mm-hmm. Silva, my wife and partner and I, uh, started a soap business uh, where, uh, yeah, we, we have designer soaps. That are crafted so far. They're all crafted by M. Lapis de Silva. But there's a wide variety of really awesome designs. They all smell amazing. Uh, if you go to Etsy and search for Salt Cat Soap. All one word. Salt Cat Soap. You can look for the logo that looks like Luca. Michelle designed that as well. <laughs> uh, we're also on Twitter and Instagram at Salt Cat Soap. And there's a lot of really, really cool designs. Uh, including my favorite right now is a birthday cake soap. That was her birthday gift to me. And it smells like birthday cake, and it's a wonderful soap, and I hope you enjoy it. So thank you, everybody, who's already checked that out. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, if you want to write us an email, the email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And, uh, yeah, we might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Talk about anything you want to talk about. Something we discuss on this podcast. TV, movie history, our opinions on things. Whatever you want us. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. We're here for you. So thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next season.